Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Brett Bowe continue their discussion on the Second Commandment and what it promotes for us in God's Word. Welcome to Being Lutheran. I am Pastor Brett Bowe, and with me today I have... Pastor Jason Goodham. Good to see you again, Brett. Yes, you as well. It's good to be back and recording. Glad to see that you have so far survived the bubonic plague that's going through Minnesota right now. Right. I I think 90% of uh, Minnesotans, or or at least in the Twin Cities here, have had some form of the cold or... Flu or whatever. Your family's coming out of it. My family's coming out of it. I've got it right now. And so, you know, I would suggest after listening to this episode, you know, just take a disinfected wipe, wipe down your computer and headphones, and you won't, I don't think I'm that contagious. Sounds good. Well, we'll press on regardless and have a good time talking about God's Word today and enjoy this together. So, well, let's get into what we're talking about today. We're, we're still wrapping up the second commandment and looking at that. And today we're going to look at a, a passage of scripture that has to do with the idea of what is promoted in the second commandment. And so uh, maybe, listener, as you hear this, you, you might be surprised to hear this or might be surprised to, um, or maybe even thinking, how does this fit with the second commandment? But uh, Jason, would you describe what we're doing here today? Yeah, we're on the plus side of the commandment. You'll remember that uh, each one of the Ten Commandments both prohibits sinful behavior and promotes pious behavior, promotes obedience to God, shows us the proper way we should be acting as God's children, aligned with His will, reflecting the way He wants us to be holy both before Him and before the world. And so uh, in the second commandment, the second commandment prohibits Mm -hmm. blasphemy, the uh, flippant or even abusive use of the Lord's name. And the second commandment promotes the proper use of God's name. The Mm -hmm. activity of the proper use of God's name is going to God in prayer. And we talked about this Mm -hmm. uh, in the lesson on the second commandment from the catechisms is that it's the second commandment that gives voice to the first commandment because Mm -hmm. you can't really see, feel, hear, or touch faith itself, but our words give, you know, credence to what we believe. And so uh, part of that is confessing, and you know that's the Lutheran confessions. The other part of that is praying, directing our faith back to God, sure. uh, both for requests, but also for praise and thanksgiving and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So somebody that is thinking about this commandment, it goes beyond just using God's name properly, it, just in a general sense of how we speak of God, but there's this active idea of coming to God using his name and uh, he listening to us and and uh, responding to yeah it's really a sense of what is god's name for god has given us his name he's given us his name in baptism as his children mm-hmm. you are baptized into the name of the father son and holy spirit so he's given us his name he's also revealed himself in his name that's the very nature of what he's doing in exodus chapter 3 especially exodus 3:14 moses is there at the burning bush 
and you know trying to get out of ministry mm-hmm. uh, there in the mountains. And he says, "Well, these people won't believe that you've sent me. Who should I tell them has sent me to them?" And, and God finally reveals His name to Moses: mm-hmm. "I am." who I am. And so the very nature of who God is revealed to us in his name is that he's there. He exists. He's available. He's not hidden. He, he's not hard to get after. He's, he's right there for us, uh, an available God. And, and that already stands in contrast with so many of the other world religions around us. Uh, because you have to try to find God. You have to try to get to God or achieve God. Uh, you would remember, uh, and we're going way off topic down the rabbit hole a little bit here, but mm-hmm. uh, in First Kings, Elijah uh, on the prophets, uh, in the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and Elijah's sitting there kind of bemused that these 400 prophets are, are dancing around the altar trying to get Baal to respond. And he's like, well, maybe Baal's in the bathroom. You know, he, he can't, maybe he's asleep. Uh, and that, that's significant because Yahweh is the God who is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that as the God who is there, we have constant access to him and access to him through his name and through prayer. And so that leads us into the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today in this episode. And we are in 1 Timothy 2. And in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8, there's a good section that describes prayer and describes uh, some of the things that we're bringing to God in prayer and talking about. And uh, so do you have any other introductory comments as we get into this here? Um, so let's let's do that. Let's read this. And I, I almost feel like I should keep doing this, but if you want to stand if, for the reading <laughs> of God's word, stand in respect for the yeah, reading stand of God's in the respect word. For, is, unless you're driving, please don't. Uh, we'll, we well, want you to be safe. Maybe here. if you're in a convertible, it's possible. There you go. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. So let me read for us here First Timothy two, one through eight, and it says this: First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Here ends the reading. Amen. Yes. All right, and so in this passage we have uh, this urging or this call from the apostle uh, Paul to Timothy uh, about prayer. Yeah, it's it's an urging, but we should also remember that prayer is a command mm-hmm. that God has instructed us, uh, even just by by the sheer nature of Him revealing Himself to us in the commandments. He's instructed us uh, to go to Him in prayer and not to anyone else. That would be idolatry. That would be first commandment mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, but uh, there, there's so much going on in this passage yeah. that uh, really incorporates the whole idea of prayer. But you know. Paul here is urging 
prayer to happen in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's urging his friend uh, and the person he's been mentoring, Timothy, who is being sent to Ephesus as a pastor mm-hmm. to uh, not only be a praying pastor, but also to teach prayer mm-hmm. to his congregation. So he's urging congregations to be praying. We remember in just, I think, every one of Paul's letters, his epistles to actual congregations in different locations, uh, they almost all open up with, I thank God Mm -hmm. uh, every time I remember you in my prayers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's also something he's been uh, molding. And and since we're talking about the commandments, um, we can talk about that, you know, this is something we have to practice. This Mm -hmm. isn't just a good idea. It's not just a suggestion that... uh, Paul is urging us to the activity of prayer. He models that in his own life, and we're commanded to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as he begins that here in this chapter, in, in chapter 2, he mentions different types of prayers, different mm-hmm. types of ways to come to God, and in using his name, bringing a supplication, a prayer, intercessions, thanksgivings. Mm-hmm. And I, this passage has been on my mind a little bit for the last few months we just came through the end of 2016, and we're in 2017 right now. Um, and so this passage came up quite often uh, right before the election. Yep. And I love how he calls us, he commands us to pray for all people. And uh, and we're going to get into that here. What is that? Maybe some of the specifics of who to pray for as well. But uh, we come to God in prayer and in different types of prayers as he has laid out here. Yeah, you've got them laid out. You read those four words. Uh, we talked about this in the lesson from the catechisms on the second commandment. But, you know, a good way to think about prayer is with that ACTS, A-C-T-S, mm-hmm. uh, model of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, intercession, yep. uh, which basically parallels what's being said here. Um, and, and another great resource as we think about uh, prayer and how to pray mm-hmm. and, and the mode of prayer is... Uh, Luther wrote a little pamphlet to his barber yes. called A Simple Way to Pray. Right. And I know that's available right now from Concordia Publishing House. They just put in a tiny little booklet for like two bucks, mm-hmm. two or three bucks. And we just, uh, here at Faith, we've decided we're going to start putting those in all of our new members' packets oh, when great. anyone joins. Uh, but, you know, it, it's this wide open thing, and mm-hmm. especially in American Christianity now, uh, we have been almost obsessed with free prayer, with open prayer, mm-hmm. to the point where it's paralyzing for the person. Pers- excuse me, for the person who hasn't made a habit of prayer, you don't know what to do or what to say or how to say it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, doing a Bible study on prayer here is is an effective sort of thing. Just thinking of, well, are there people in your lives mm-hmm. that you're concerned about? You pray for them. Are there things in your own life you're concerned about? You pray for that. Are there things you're grateful for? Mm-hmm. You pray for that and, and so on and so forth. Even confession mm-hmm. uh, is a prayer that you are acknowledging uh, to God, your sins, and, and really all confession is doing is agreeing with God about his opinion of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> and so that's that's a wonderful thing to keep in mind here as we come to God in prayer and it, thinking about growing in prayer, and there are lots of good resources out there, as you mentioned, and I just recently passed along the, the Luther booklet to somebody in my congregation as well. And uh, those, those types of things help us to handle uh, this idea of talking to God. It may be intimidating to come to God. And even as you mentioned, like with the burning bush, the, the name of God, 
that shouldn't keep us from coming to God, but God invites us to come to Him um, in Jesus' name, in, in prayer. And I just heard something recently, too, of, of those that pray in public. Sometimes they'll just pray in your name, or they'll say, they won't mention the name of Christ uh, when they pray, maybe in like a government building or something like that. But uh, what's the importance of that um, in, in terms of praying? The, the word in Jesus' name is not a magical incantation, but what's going on there, Jason? Well, you're confessing a theology of prayer. And in, in, in confessing a theology of prayer, you're really confessing the Trinity. Uh, I'm not the, the the sole expert on this. It's actually a Reformed theologian by the name of Michael Horton, uh, who is the co-host of this radio program called The White Horse Inn. He's really a stickler about this, mm-hmm. about you know not just throwing our prayers out there. You know, you know he's God; he'll hear them, which it's right. But uh, he he's very adamant. You pray to the Father. Mm-hmm. By the Son through the Spirit. I think those are the prepositions yeah. he uses. That's helpful. And so you direct your prayer to God the Father, who is on the throne in heaven. We are able to pray because of Jesus Christ, who has reconciled us to the Father. And it is the Spirit who prompts us to pray, who who prays the words with us. And you know Romans eight, who, you know speaks with groanings who are deep too deep for words. You know, there are times when I've just been so overwhelmed by whatever it is in my life, whether it's sin or stress, you just sit there and you sigh. And and knowing that God knows uh, Mm -hmm. what you're going through is really powerful. What's so interesting, I love this passage here Mm -hmm. in 1 Timothy because it shows us, first of all, that God uses his name for the correct purposes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would call kind of the climax of the section, the, the apex uh, of the pattern of the section, uh, verse four, that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, right. is that the proper way to use God's name, second commandment stuff now, mm-hmm. is for salvation. Yeah, uh, God uses his own name for salvation. We are to use God's name for salvation. This is you know, Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, Acts 4 uh, there's no other name given to men under heaven by which we might be saved except for Jesus Christ. Uh, so it's the name of Jesus saves the, mm-hmm. because it's the identity of Christ that, that saves. And so um, it's really prayer is a crying out to God for salvation, mm-hmm. for deliverance, for provision. All of that is wrapped up in our reconciliation with God. And in mm-hmm. fact, Hebrews 4 lays it out nicely for us. We have this great high priest uh, who has done his work of high priest, the high priesthood for us, and then we are able to approach the throne of grace in confidence Mm -hmm. uh, because Christ has reconciled us, and that's where we receive the grace and mercy necessary to live our lives. Mm -hmm. Good. So here in this passage, he's mentioning that he's praying for specific people too. And so what you just said about praying for salvation we could pray for others too, for salvation to come to them um, in the name of Christ, and and for them to know and confess and trust in the in God and in His name. Um, and so, tell me a little bit about who we're being invited to pray for in this passage. It's it's so stunning because verse two is for kings and all who are in high positions, and uh, in this divisive partisan era you and I are living in right now. This is a foreign concept. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've reverted back to the life of the Pharisees, where we we love those who love us and we hate those who hate us. Right. 
and you look back just on evangelical Christians in America over the last 16 years, how easy was it for us to pray for George W. Bush when he was president, mm-hmm. a man who wore his faith by and large on his sleeve. You know, we might not have agreed with all his theology or whatever, but he was a visibly Christian man. And then uh, Barack Obama comes into office, and he's not visibly Christian. He claims to be Christian, but from a conservative Christian standpoint, his policies weren't Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the way he talked about Christians, he stripped away many religious liberties we had. You know, mm-hmm. in his administration, we're dealing with the the people in Colorado. Is it the bakers in Colorado mm-hmm. and the florists in Oregon who are being yep. sued? Yep. And those sorts of things. But we're called to pray for Barack Obama. And now, no matter what your opinion is on President Trump, we're called to pray mm-hmm. for President Trump, as well as our senators and representatives right. and mayors and governors. And, and Paul likely writes First Timothy mm-hmm. in the mid-60s. You not know, like the 1960s. No, yeah, like, not the not, mid-1960s. Not the the well, hippies. You probably the, find yeah. some scholars who <laughs> sure. think it was written. Yeah, right. <laughs> but in the mid-60s of the first century. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if that's the case, if we're right, and that's, uh, you know, most Bible-believing conservative theologians think date those letters there. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then Nero is the ruler of the Roman Empire at this time. And, uh, you know, not to get into a... a a biography of Nero, but he's on the shortest, short list of the worst humans that have ever lived. I mean, he probably top five. Nero was, was all sorts of depraved. Um, and he, on top of all that, there's the report from Roman historians that he used to tar Christians, right. light them on fire, and use them to illumine his garden parties. Tiki torches. Yeah, tiki torches. Christian tiki torches. And, you know, he oversaw throwing Christians to the wild animals in the gladiator arenas. And, you know, one of the first real systematic persecutions mm-hmm. of Christians in the 60s, right before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Yeah, so uh, imagine praying for Nero. Praying for... Having this, reading this verse and thinking of a man like Nero. Yeah, absolutely. But when you consider what scripture says here, and even in passages like Romans 13, where God appoints authorities, you start to realize what's at stake here. Our unbelieving neighbor, whether that's our neighbor in authority over us or horizontally next to us in society, is not our enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the enemies that we have, the struggle is against the powers and the principalities mm-hmm. of this dark age, the the spiritual forces that Ephesians mm-hmm. 6 calls it. Uh, we should be uh, most active in praying for the unbelievers, for mm-hmm. the unsaved, that they would become brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. Uh, those are the neighbor that we have been given almost most importantly. If you mm-hmm. read uh, through the Sermon on the Mountain, I know this because I just preached a sermon on it. Uh, Chapter five, you have Christ's great intensification of the law. You know, you've got the instruction about murder, and then you've got the instruction about divorce and lust, and uh, oaths are in there. Mm-hmm. But the the it really ramps up in intent in it's an intensity in the last ten verses where it talks about love your enemies, mm-hmm. uh, and you know that's the turn your other cheek passage, and so on and so forth. So you know, according to scripture, an argument can be made, and I'll make it that the neighbor that is most important to you as a Christian is your unbelieving neighbor. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And if we're not praying for them who who will be or who well, they're not praying for yeah, themselves they're not praying for themselves 
And on the flip side of that, God has placed you in their lives to use the name of God properly and to confess Christ as Lord, Savior. And that's really a driving force here as we think of, of this passage before us. And I like how he wraps it up in verse 8. He says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And I think about that, that holy hands, and I know people might think, well, you know, my hands aren't holy, but uh, it's we are made holy through Christ and through uh, his holiness given to us. And uh, and that's that emboldens us to pray and come before God. Our Heavenly Father. Yeah, that's justification language. And, mm-hmm. and we as Christians should always be attuned to that in Scripture. It's also sanctification language, is to be rightly oriented, to be righteous before our neighbor in society, is to have holy hands. And we're praying. And I, I just love how verse 8 contrasts the improper use of our words Mm-hmm. anger and quarreling yeah. with the proper use of our words in prayer Good. and in love. Good insight. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's really a great study on the second commandment and, and how we use our words. Remember, the second commandment is about us being truth tellers. Mm-hmm. It's about using God's name for truth. Really hard to do that when you're angering and quarreling, when you're attacking rather than when you're stating the truth in mm-hmm. love always, but you call sin, sin. But then you are always there with the healing balm of the gospel, and in your spare time, you're praying. Mm-hmm. Amen. I think that's a good spot to end this episode. You have any other final thoughts? Uh, well, I'm sure I do. I'm, you know, we, we just barely <laughs> scratched the surface on prayer. Stop. Thankfully, in the in the catechisms, there's a whole section on prayer when mm-hmm. we talk about the Lord's prayer. Good. So even though it feels incomplete here, uh, we'll it'll get be a to good opportunity more. to return to it when we take that up. Sounds great. Thank you for joining us on Being Lutheran. These podcasts are available on iTunes, and if you like these podcasts, please give us a good rating. Please join us next time as Pastor Brett and Jason field questions from you, the listener. God bless you, and have a great day.